Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. If you're looking for a good summer read that's part mystery, part treasure hunt, while at the same time being a travelogue through history, you may want to check out Steve Barry's new novel, The Omega Factor. No, it's not another Cotton Malone adventure. Instead, we're introduced to a brand new character by the name of Nick Lee, a United Nations investigator whose mission is to protect the world's antiquities. I recently talked with Barry about his new novel. The focus of this mystery is the Ghent Altarpiece, a real-life masterpiece by artist Jan van Eyck. It is surrounded by its own real-life mystery after a panel of the work of art disappeared in 1934, never to be seen again. And that's where Barry begins Nick's adventure in present-day Belgium. Well, it's, um, he, you know, she's, a, she's a, a woman from his past, so he's, drawn back to her, even though because uh, I've been doing cotton, and then when I switched mm -hmm. publishers, they wanted to start with a standalone, which was kind of cool because I'd had this guy in my head, so it was fun to bring Nick Lee to life, it really was. You you set the story up with a, a, a flashback um, to the Pyrenees, a period of time, or to an event in the Pyrenees in the spring of the, of the 1400s, where we actually um, meet the... the uh, Van Eyck, and, and, but what do we know about him historically? Well, there's quite a bit known about him, actually. He's not a he's not a mysterious person from uh, from that time. From the time, he was an, he was. Uh, what's mysterious is the actual altarpiece itself, because his brother started it. His brother began the altarpiece in 1427, 28, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, and his brother died during the during that process, and Jan took over. And historians and art historians have been looking at this thing for years, trying to decide how much of, of Herbert is there, Herbert, how much of Jan is there. They, they don't really know. The best guess is uh, the, the, the brother laid out the basic framework of it and did some of the underpainting, and then Jan came along and did the rest of it. What we do know is that the Ghent altarpiece is one of the most magnificent um, examples of, of oil painting in the world. It wasn't the first oil painting by any means, but it was the first to maximize what you can do with oil. Mm -hmm. And it really revolutionized things because oil allows you to, to, to paint so finely with all of the detail and all of the things you can do. And this, uh, this, this altarpiece is spectacular. I mean, I have seen it myself. Mm -hmm. It's now finished. Its restoration is finished, so it's in, it's just you know you can see it in all of its glory, and uh, it has so many secrets and history and symbols and all kinds of things are hidden all through that painting that it's hard to know for sure what 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 Van Eyck meant by it. But it was fun to use those elements and fashion the treasure hunt that I created in the book. When Nick arrives on the scene, this this panel is 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 burned in in, in this fire. Um, after the stolen panel has survived inquisitions and crusades and wars, and there's a lot of history, as you mentioned, bundled up surrounding it in this novel. How did you navigate the line between kind of fact and fiction with this one? This was hard. Um, I saw the altarpiece about six years ago, and I wanted it to be a Cotton Malone book, very much so. And I never could figure it out. I just couldn't figure out what to do with it because the, it has been studied extensively. There's no secret things that are going to pop out of there that no one knew were there before. 
because it's been studied that closely. So I had to work with what was there. And it took me a while. Uh, I was uh, When I decided to write the standalone, I pulled out my research that I'd had on the altarpiece. And it took me several months, but I finally figured out something that worked, something that fit, something that went with the, what was there and fit in with the mystery. Uh, the 12th panel of the altarpiece was stolen in 1934. No one's ever seen it since. And the question is, you know, why was it stolen? Why is it gone? What, what was the purpose of taking that particular one? And this is just one of 13 violations to the to the to the painting over the past 500 years. It has really been uh, attacked and, and and vandalized and stolen quite often. Uh, some say the most of any work of art in the world. So it, it was a challenge, but it came together nicely. And I think the reader's going to go like, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool." Uh, that that's there. It's real. There he is. A, there's a, a new cast of characters and relationships in the Omega Factor from this mysterious um, secret order of nuns to a forgotten religious sect that refers to themselves as the good Christians to, of course, the Roman Catholic Church and, and some of the enigmas that it, it often portrays. Um, who's who in this book? Do we need a program guide? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. It's, uh, I keep the characters, I try to keep my name characters down to you know, six or seven, and point of views here like four. So I keep, you know, where we're in their heads and hear their thoughts. So I keep those down as well. I try to keep uh, under five always. Uh, the fewer the better. Um, the nuns are interesting. I wanted to create my own little sect of nuns, and the, um, you know, of course, you make Nick and Kelsey, and then we have a couple of bad guys, and and of course they they have to be associated with the church. The poor church gets always. <laughs> the negative side, and I apologize for them in the writer's note, but I figure they've been around a long time. They can handle it. And um, so we have a couple of Dominicans in there. You always have to throw a couple of those in. But the the book does deal with something from the Catholic Church, though, and it's kind of a surprise in the novel. That's why I don't want to tell the reader about it. But it's something I came across that um, no one's really dealt with in the thriller uh, to the extent that I deal with it here. It was touched on in a couple of thrillers, but not like I did it. So I, I thought I was through with the Catholic Church, but I came up with something here that no one had touched with before, and I wanted to to explore it. And I, it, it is a fascinating subject. So I, I, I'll preface this with, if this question is too close to that, then feel free not to answer it. Okay. But a lot of this story is the tangled web and histories surrounding the lore of the, of the, of the Virgin Mary. What is it about her existence that makes this such an intriguing plot line? Not necessarily, not only for your book, but it, yeah, a plot line in general. Well, I doubt very seriously if many people even know where she came from, you know, and how she was, you know, what what her whole background, her whole history, everything about her. I, I know that I did not know a lot of it until I started looking at it. There's a... It, it's, a, it's a subject matter that was touched on in the Da Vinci Code a little bit, but here we deal with it head on, and I wanted to deal with it because it is fascinating. Um, the uh, the Catholic Church was originally a very male-centric church, very much so, in its early, early days. I'm talking about in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th centuries. It was very male-oriented, and they, um, they needed uh, to draw the the females in. They needed to get women to get into the church. They needed to get them to get you know involved in the church. And paganism had always had its goddesses, so they had gods and goddesses. So they they learned from that, and they 
they created this this uh, thing that they called the Virgin Mary and just sort of created it. It's really remarkable how they just created it and it's become what it is today. This one, um, like all of your books, is is another wonderful travel log. Um, start out in Belgium and, and wind our way through and into the mountains of the French Pyrenees. What is it about this region that attracted you? Uh, it's my, it's one of my favorite in the world. It's um, when you go there, you can kind of feel the magic. I mean, uh, the book also deals with Qatars, which is a fascinating religion to me. This is a religion that existed you know, seven, eight hundred years ago and supposedly was wiped from the face of the earth. The Catholic Church sent in the Albacinian Crusade and just slaughtered tens of thousands of people to eliminate this religion. It was so popular and so much of a threat to the church that they had to actually go in and exterminate it. And that that just fascinates me. I mean, you just this entire religion was so dangerous that we had to had to get rid of it. Uh and the book explores a lot of that, and that region is very is, was the head was where Cathars were located was their kind of like their home base, and when you go there, you can still feel that presence. You can feel it's it's very uh, mystical that whole the whole area is the Pyrenees Mountains. The the convent that this book takes place in at the end is a real convent down in Pyrenees Mountains uh, that I visited twice, and um, it sits up on a side of a cliff it it looks like hollywood went up there and built a set for it's everything you would think of a of a mountain convent but it's been there a thousand years and all of that just, just sort of plays on your imagination and so this book came from all of that uh and that and that love of that region <laughs> the the title of, of the book is is more is explained in the end and huh? there are many cryptic references kind of scattered throughout the novel, and, and not to give anything away about the ending, but in some regard in the end, it seems that um, it kind of all comes down to a, a matter of faith uh, and uh-huh. our belief in what we believe to be true. Exactly. All of the, the four books, uh, five books now that I've done with the Catholic Church where I've gone in and had a very deep dive into, into a particular doctrine or particular thing, you know, certainly deals with religion. And religion is created by us. We make it, we create it, we can change it, we can modify it. The books always have a very positive message on faith, and this one is no exception to that. So it, it has that, it has a positive message in that regard, because there's a difference between faith and religion. It's when we mix the two, the trouble comes. And and you're right. The, the 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 title becomes evident as you begin to, to see what what this story is really all about, and how Nick and, and how Nick sees what this story is all about as he gets deeper and deeper into this. And it was a it was a fun treasure hunt. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the subject matter. I learned a lot, and I'm hoping the readers here are going to be the same. I, I must admit, I, I, I reread a couple of sections of the book a couple of t- times just to just to uh, try to absorb the, the the history, and then I uh, then I was doing a lot of googling it there for, for a while too, which was really interesting. And I know you put so much uh, historical context into in into your into your work. The one thing I thought was really interesting in in in, in this storyline is is in a lot of these characters we really kind of see the struggle between. I don't know if you want to call it between good and evil. That's maybe inherently within each of us. Yeah, that, that's a lot of the, A lot of my books deal with that. You know, there's there's good and bad there, and 
uh, as as you learn, you know, your bad guys have good characters, characteristics. Your, your good guys have some bad characteristics. People are very complex, and so this book deals with that. It deals with all of that, and and this and this legend, this myth, this thing that was created so long ago, uh, you know, of of the Virgin Mary, which is just fascinating to me how it is evolved into what it is today. Uh, you know, there's so many churches, so many places, so many things associated with her. And, uh, you know, she was essentially just created in the fourth century. They just sat down and said, okay, let's, let's create it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, you almost got me the kind of sort of like the Cardinal in this story, but so it's okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> Well, he has his, uh, he has his moments. Yeah, he does, and he and he's trying, and he wants to. He, you know, you gotta have, as I said, it's unfortunate you have to have these these bad guys sometimes in uh, in in the in, in the church. But I wanted to to deal with that, you know, that concept of um, of what it would mean if this legend was exposed. What would it mean? Well, it would have some effect. It actually would have some effect on some things. It actually could change some things, particularly the the concept that the church is infallible. You know, that's that's a, that's a fascinating comment that you know, on matters of doctrine we're infallible and we we make no mistakes. That's a pretty bold thing to say. You've uh, kind of left the door open on on Nick and Kelsey. Might there be another mission on the horizon? Would love to. Would love to go back and visit them again, but that's going to depend on. Um, that's just going to depend on the readers, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, do they? How well are they going to uh, like Nick? I'm hoping they will. Cotton's not gone. He just took a year off. He'll be back in um, in 2000 next year, February of next year. Cotton comes back. It's a really cool adventure. It's actually the adventure that I had written. The, the Cotton Malone book was finished for 2022. When I switched <laughs> publishers, they wanted a standalone. <laughs> so I had to put it aside and write the new book. So uh, Cotton will be back uh, with an adventure that takes place in Bavaria, which is one of my favorite places in the world. deals with King Ludwig II, his three fairy tale castles. It's called The Last Kingdom. It'll be out in, uh, next February. And then... Um, uh, Luke Daniels is getting his own series oh, starting okay. next June. He's going to get three books, so it's been kind of fun. Nick's in the middle. He's not as he's he's older than Luke, but younger than Cotton. So, and he's not me. I use me for Cotton. <laughs> he's not me at all. So he has his complete personality, his own personality, and his own things. And so he was fun to create. I would love to come back one day and uh, and revisit him. Um, I hope I get that opportunity. But as I said, it's just going to depend on how well the, the readers take to him. So far, they've done very well. I did notice you, you worked in a reference to the Magellan Billet in, in the book. I did. I want you to know that he exists in in Cotton's world. And who knows, one day they might meet. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, at, at one point, I kind of thought maybe that they were sort of reverse sides of the same coin. But... They're definitely their own individuals. Yes, they do. With yeah, maybe yeah. some like, I don't know, um, missions or, or morals well, or. They do. Or... They have a similar personality in that regard. But they like, you know, Nick has an affinity towards guns, and then he he has some he has some things Cotton doesn't deal with, and he likes to. He has, he has a family for one thing. He has brothers and sisters and all that family there that I did not give to Cotton. 
So, uh, and and I would love to visit some of those and and some adventures that deal with some of those. I made them, you know, uh, you know, kind of diverse and interesting, so that if I ever get a chance to go back. I'd like to do it. That's one mistake I made with Cotton. I didn't give him a family, basically. He's just a loner all by himself. Mm-hmm. I, it, it sounds like I can hear it in your voice that it, it, this was this was fun to, to kind of maybe take a brief hiatus from. It was. It, it was fun, and it wasn't fun. It was fun because it was new and different. It wasn't fun because of that same reason. It was new <laughs> and different because you, you get comfortable with the, where you are, and you don't have to create everything from scratch. Uh, I did it during the height of COVID. I wrote this book in 2020 when we were locked down so the good part was I didn't have to go anywhere and I could sit down and just work on it all day long with no rush and no anything and I was able to write the whole novel in 10 months which is fast for me so uh, I, um, I I was very pleased with the ending and, and I, I would love to see uh, I'd love to come back to him and uh, and let's do some more with him. That's author Steve Barry his new novel is The Omega Factor for this edition of In the Author's Voice I'm Jeff Williams.